T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We are joined by the Sox scouting director, Nick Hostetler. One of our big things this year is we want to start getting more true baseball players in our system. Uh, Guys that make contact, uh, pitchers that throw strikes, um, pound the zone, and just get back to the the tools of the game of baseball. It's hit and run on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. When is that from, Zach Withers? When was Nick Hostetler talking with Jason Benetti about wanting to get true baseball players into the system? It's two years ago when they took uh, Zach Collins and a couple other people, if I'm not mistaken. That makes sense, because Zach Collins, uh, at the time, thought of Nick as, I think, a a, a pretty darn polished college hitter, right? Absolutely was. There we go. There we go. Rookie mistake, right? (laughs) Welcome in, yeah. I was telling you, hit the on button for the microphone. Hit the cough button if you need to cough. Hit the talk back if you want to cough directly in the ear of Zach Withers. I was focused on the talk and cough back. <laughs> the cough. Yeah, understood. Um, thanks, man, for coming in. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Thanks for having me. So four years as the amateur scouting director. Yep. Fifteen Correct. with the team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. And yep. and and how have things changed even just in these four years? Because once you embark on a rebuild like this. You know the the draft takes on you know uh, it, it takes on such a huge huge role and it always has but it takes on a huge role. I think early on I, I've I've seen you talk about it in terms of like needing to provide depth for the system and, and and what did that mean to you those first couple years on the job in terms of the draft? Yeah, you know the first couple years it was more of I was flying by the seat of my pants a lot. I was uh, I was a wild child to start off. I mean, it was 365, 24-7, and, and we were trying to – we knew at that point with the rebuild coming, we knew that trying to provide as much depth as we could uh, for the system to give Rick the opportunity to, to make these trades, to to have pieces when we do start to win, that he can move for a fifth starter or a bullpen piece or those types of things. We wanted to balance out the draft. Um, I think early on, I think in, in it showed we went pretty college heavy from the standpoint of trying to get some more advanced guys in to try to fill those upper levels that we didn't have much depth in. We needed to, to attack that first. That was important. Um, from that day in 2000, I think I took the job in, in fifth, the fall of 15 until now the department has grown. The analytics staff has grown. Um, the, all the data, all of the information that, that we have readily available now is – far greater than what we had back in 2016. Uh, and, and now it's up to us to try to to apply that to our evaluations and to our, our objective reports on the players and to make sure that we can marriage those things together now in 2019 for this draft that, that 
ultimately is very important for us. See, I could talk for hours or listen to you talk for hours, Nick, about that stuff, about how the analytics ramped up, how the scouting ramped up, how the communication within the organization has to ramp up as your development has to align with your scouting and what you eventually want at the big league level, all that kind of stuff. That's that's a part of the rebuild process that a lot of organizations go through that I think fans don't don't really have a comprehension on how big of a scope that is. Yeah, in the amount of people that are involved in the draft now is, I mean, to try to name all of them is next to impossible. I mean, it's at a point where Kenny Williams, uh, Rick Hahn, Jeremy Haber, Chris Getz, they're all outseen players. We have our guys in Arizona, the Everett Tefords and the Rod Larsons and the, the guys like that that are they're putting together all of our track man and our pitch smart data that we have to then use towards all of our pitchers in our evaluations. We've got our, our all of our cross checkers, our assistant scouting directors, national guys. I mean, it, it really does. We have a, group, a huge team of guys that it, it – Old, old school way, it was scouting director, see a guy, cross checker, see a guy, area guy, boom, turn in the pick, we're ready to go. Now there's so many checks and balances to it that we have to make sure that all of those things line up and that that player fits in what we're trying to do in our organization from a scouting and player development standpoint. So that's interesting. So for for decades, and I think this was true for lots, for most organizations, um, and it was true you know, up, up until you know five, six years ago, or four years ago for, for the Sox, Area scout sees a guy, mm-hmm. right? And you were an area scout at I was. one point. Yeah, for the for the White Sox and the Braves. Okay, all right. Yep. So, so who's a guy that you saw that ended up getting drafted, say, by the White Sox when you were an area scout? Uh, you know, my last year before I went over to Atlanta um, was a year I, I was I had gotten Tyler Lumsden, who was our sandwich pick. Um, ended up getting in a trade to Kansas City. Got to AAA. Arm injuries never had it, but I had saw him, okay. and that started the process then with cross checkers and everybody else. So you see the guy first Mm -hmm. and was he even on the organization's radar? He was at the, at the time he was a pretty high profile guy. We kind of knew who he was. So you see him and then you pass on the report and then a second guy sees him and then the scouting director sees him. Yeah. Scouting director will see him. Usually I try to see everybody that's our first five picks. I try to keep our first to our first five picks because if I tried to get any deeper, Uh I'm only doing harm to the process. If I only see (laughs) one player and I, and I'll be full, I'll fully admit if I only see one player and we're debating, him or another guy in the eighth round, my opinion is biased then because I saw him with my own eyes. I would much rather take the data, the scouting reports, and the video and mm-hmm. make my decision off of the two players at that point. Got you. And we have we have a staff that we have one of the largest scouting staffs in baseball. And we need to take advantage of that in those rounds and let me just focus on those top guys to make sure that I'm comfortable with the guys we're giving the most money to. All right, so to be clear, that's the old school way is a one area scout would see it, then a cross checker, then the top. Now you're talking about how many different eyes oh. are on a player um, by the time you, you pick them in that room. I mean, there's especially the high guys, the first round guys. I mean, we might have 10 reports on them, and that's not even tying in the people that have watched them through video have dug over all the analytics and all the data. Mm -hmm. I mean, we might eventually at the end of it, by the end of everything before that name goes in, if he's the first round pick, we probably have 15 people that have an opinion on him Mm. from all of the work that they've put in on him. And this should give you theoretically, uh, obviously a a better opportunity to draft uh, a a product that you, that you know you can develop. You feel more comfortable. You feel Mm -hmm. comfortable that all the, all the boxes have been checked, everything, you know, all the rocks have been turned over. You've seen everything you need to see from Mm -hmm. a, from a performance and a makeup standpoint, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're comfortable with the guy you're going to give multi-million dollars to, to to go out and perform, be the face of the franchise. It's Nick Hostetler, the director of amateur scouting for the White Sox. Before we get about into specifics and about the Sox, just 
I, I was fascinated by the way you've described what your job is, what your perspective is, that a lot of time the pro scouts will scout for the negatives, but your job, the amateur scouts, your, your guy's job is to look for the positives, to find the positive, find the possibilities. You're looking for the possibilities the, of somebody and comparing one prospect's positives to another prospect's positives. Is that a fair way to say? That's it? fair. Yeah, and I, and I think we have to project at this at this level. We're looking at anywhere from 16. If you look at Marco Patti in the international side, we're looking from 16 years old to 22 year olds, and we're trying to project project what they're going to be in five years. I'm not sure anybody there hasn't been anybody that has mastered that. You know, I mean, you can look at the only people more wrong than baseball scouts are weathermen. I mean, it just it just happens. But you 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 have to a lot of this is comparison. So guys that you've seen in the past, you have to see how their path has developed. But you also have to understand that each individual has a characteristic characteristic trait or something inside of them that you've got to try to evaluate as well. So you can't put everyone into the same demographic as what you've seen in the past, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to understand that each of these guys are individuals. So so we're trying to project what they're going to be in the future and trying to put all these pieces together now to make the best possible pick of what we think they're going to be in five years. When you're a pro scout, you're seeing them already out in the in their field, the line of work. So they already have the wood bat in their hand. We're seeing them with aluminum bats. Um, like AAA now are using the big league baseballs, and we've seen a lot of talk about it, the home run numbers being up in AAA. The baseballs are different. I mean, it's just there's there's so many different things about baseball. So that's not your department scouting those minor leagues. That's exactly. pro scouting. That's pro scouting. And so they're trying to whittle that down to a smaller group of guys to let Rick know who they should target by trade, free agent, mm-hmm. um, and those types of things. So they've got to be a little bit more critical at the finer points of what they're doing, where, where with us we can be a little bit more forgiving uh, because it – I mean, I think all of us will say that we were not nearly the same person at, at 18 as we now are, or we were at, at 25. Yeah. And we just changed so much. Those years are so important. There's something um, something nice about that in terms of your lifestyle and role that like optimism is is practically it is in a practical sense is what you need to be focused on. Like, you have to be right. Yeah, you have to. Be. So, and it, if there are times I, I read this, I think that if you start to feel negative about a player. You will then what? Get away from it? I'll leave. I'll, I'll, I'll stop watching. I'll stop looking at box scores. If there's a situation where I see, you know, maybe he's in a rough stretch. Maybe I've seen some video or I'm at the park and I've seen him take bad swings and I'm started to like, you know, I've put a lot of work. Our staff has put a lot of work in over the past probably three, four years with these players. We have an opinion coming into the draft year. You don't want recency bias to take over at this point in the evaluation. So you're now looking to see if you can see any little thing. Well, if that opinion starts to change drastically and switch, you've got to take a step back and remove yourself from the situation at that point. Mm. And and the worst thing you can have on an amateur staff is a negative scout. I, I mean, it's really easy to be negative because you're going to be right. You're going to be right more often than not <laughs> if you're negative. So you got to be positive. you got to look for, you know, I've had people all the time tell me like, man, you're, you're a pretty happy guy. You're pretty, you know, pretty upbeat at times. I'm like, you have, you have to be. I mean, it, in your gig, you have to. You be. have to, because if you're negative and you go into this, walk into the ballpark or turn on a video screen and start evaluating the player, and you're going to say, well, I'm going to find the flaws. I can promise you're going to find a lot more flaws than you are positives. And, and, it's and, baseball. Yeah, it's baseball. It's and you're, baseball. you're dealing with a game where failure is way more, uh, it happens way more than success. Three out of ten times if you're you're successful, you're in the Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, think about that. What other profession can that happen? I know. If I hit on three out of ten of my first round draft picks, I'm gone. So, you know, it's even in this profession here, evaluating these players, you can't. So, 
you have to understand that these are human beings mm-hmm. and these are kids that are going through emotions that we all dealt with that when we look back now we think are stupid but they're really important as kids i, at I don't age. know what you're talking about man i was <laughs> i was a finished product at 18 i was a mature successful human already done at 18 um last year as you approached the draft and you wrote a, a piece on mlb.com in your own words which was really good about the drafting of nick madrigal and and the stress of waiting for him at four you loved him you wanted him specifically you had backup plans in place but like there was pacing before the draft there was why i know you said you would talk to him on may 9th of last year at oregon state that leaves a month of stress when you kind of are learning and knowing that this was your guy why did you want him um and do you feel like you are seeing that person if the success is not there yet i know it's not quite there where you'd like it to be where you'd like it to be but do you feel like him as a person in so far is what you thought you were going to get i do and in talking to chris gets it's the one thing that's that I love about the, the situation I'm in here. Chris and I have such a great relationship from both, both professionally and personally, but we're, we're honest with each other. We have a great dialogue. So it really helps me knowing the players that we've brought in and, and where we've hit, where we've missed. And he, and he can ask me questions and, and, and vice versa. We go, we go back and forth a lot on the players, but the thing that we left that meeting, I had Mike Shirley and Garrett guest with me. Both of them are now my assistant scouting directors and they, we all left there with a different feel for Nick from the, his leadership, from his, um, his, the, the ability to grind, the ability to know what this took. He had it. He understood what winning meant. He had never played on a losing team. He was a winner. I think the first quote, uh, Rick sent, sent something to uh, all of us after the first spring training game he played in where they lost. And he said, man, I really wish we'd have won that game. I mean, this guy, this guy was caring about a spring training win or loss. Like, that's what we loved about him. He still has that. The, the, the will to win or whatever you want to call it is still there for Nick. Nick, Nick prides himself on winning prides himself on great defense, which he's showing. The the bat to ball skills are second to none in all the minor leagues. This is the he's, thing that strikeout numbers and the contact percentage is insane. They they are, and I will bet on that and every day is. of the week. It yeah, still it still is. is. He's still leading minor league baseball in in strikeout percentage. It's the lowest. I mean, he he still, and I'll bet on that every day of the week because ultimately, and I think, and I'm not comparing. I hate player comps. Like it drives me insane to try to because I don't think they're fair. Like, I, of I've course so they're not, but that, it's draft season, people man. People love it. The <laughs> Super Bowl of player comps exactly. is, is coming. Now. Is the MLB draft? But, but I looked at I look at Brian Dozier in the minor leagues. Brian Dozier hit 16 home runs and 1400 at bats. Hmm. Nick Madrigal's 300 bats in. Let's pump the brakes and stop worrying about the power right now. Let's worry about what he can do and what he's yeah. showing us can do, and he continues to do that. The power is going to come. It's going to click with him. It's just a matter of him getting comfortable. And and look, I think he was a little disappointed. He went back to to high A. I think he was expected to go a little bit to double A. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got to fight through that adversity a little bit and show us that you know, show Chris and his staff that he's ready for that. And he's going to. You know, we have I have no doubts. At no point am I concerned. He's my least of my concerns right now. Is Nick Madrigal interesting? Um, so so you have that stress leading in, and that's at four. Now you're at three. Are are you expecting the same level of stress here? Do you have do you have a guy in mind that you're praying is there? I have a group of guys in mind. Um, is that I'm, better? Is that a better feeling than is. last year? It is a little bit. Now I did send a text to Jeremy Haber, our assistant GM, yesterday that I'm extremely nervous and I can't sleep. Uh, it's more. I think it's more of the uh, more of just the excitement of the draft, and you know that's my anxiety levels rising there with yeah, that. But yeah. I, I'm ready for it to be here. We start meetings tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with all of our staff, and and like I sent out an email as I was standing downstairs waiting, like I'm ready. Let's do this. Like let's get going. But I think we have a group of guys that we're really confident in. 
And I think how this is going to play out from a, not only just an evaluation standpoint on the field, off the field, but we've also got medicals to look at. We've got signability numbers, Mm -hmm. what they're going to start asking for. There's going to be jockeying back and forth with agents and other teams. So there's going to be some things that we wanted to make sure we had a group of six guys that we were comfortable in. Um, We didn't set that number. It was just, it settled at six. So Mm -hmm. we feel really confident in six players in this draft. And we're going to look at every option. We're going to look at every every corner and every turn that each player provides for us, mm-hmm. um, whether that's financial flexibility later in the draft or that's something where we feel that, you know, this is the best guy and we've got to, we've got to go get him. Whatever it may be, um, at this point, we're, we're really confident in that group of six and we're going to move forward with that. You mentioned the first couple of drafts, how you were kind of heavy on the college kids because you wanted to provide depth for the system and kind of arm Rick Hahn with prospects, which – Seems, by the way, to be even more valuable now that all these free agents to be are signing these preemptive deals like yeah. Trout and, and, and Ronald Acuna. And stuff. Like yeah. All these, these dream free agent options are going away. Yeah. So you, you might need, Rick might need to make even more trades. But then last year, more high school kids. Yep. More high school kids with a higher ceiling where you can dream a little bit more and maybe it's a longer time horizon, but your chances of getting Chipper Jones are, are, are higher. Mm-hmm. Safe to say that at number three, you could go either direction this year? We could. We could. And, and either direction, and, I, and I'll say this, the only demographic that's not in our mix right now is a high school pitcher. But high school position players, college pitching, college hitters are in it. And it, it, we're looking at every option there available of those of the group of six. And, you know, in, in sending Getze, um, having him, that he, Chris Getz sees our system every day. He's around it, so he knows what our development plan is, is geared towards. Hmm. That's been huge for us. Um, having Kenny and his background of, of all of the information, you know, he was a big part of the Luis robber and the Jose Abreu signings and having his eyes, seeing those guys in a different perspective. Cause Rick and Kenny and Jeremy, they see big league games every single day. Myself, our staff, we won't start seeing big league games until after the draft because we just get so focused on on college and high school stuff that we don't have an opportunity to see it. So they're looking at it through a different lens. So we have so many different guys looking at these picks through looking at these players through different lenses Mm -hmm. that it's really for me, it's provided a good balance in our evaluations. So we're at a point now where I think it's going to be fun getting in there and hashing it back and forth. Try not to take anything personal that's said and try to make sure nobody gets anything thrown at them or I'm just kidding. We don't get it too deep into that. Oh, I don't buy that. (laughs) Come on. You got some volatile people in there in a good way. We want passion team of rivals. We want passion. We want guys that, that believe in what they're, they're putting their, name on I hey mean, man it, it, you know I, for, it, one of the first times I ever heard about even that kind of thing was Kenny Williams saying that he brought an Ozzie Guillen for an interview to see if this he could be a manager and they fought in the initial <laughs> interview and he's yeah. like you know what I like that I need that I, mean, I need somebody to stand up to me yeah you have to have guys that are willing to tell you the truth yeah they're guys that are willing to put their name and their neck out there on the line they're I mean essentially we're putting our our family's futures on the line. We're putting our careers on the line yep. for, for these players. Like we have to have guys that are passionate about what they're doing. Hey man, you're putting these fans money on the line. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're, they're going to bring their family to the ballpark and you better give them a, a decent. Team. There's no question. Look, but I, and I've said this before. I understand the frustration. I, I get it. I'm a fan myself. I was grew up in Cleveland. I've suffered through losing my whole childhood. You know, I get it. I don't want to lose. There isn't any of us that want to miss on any of these picks. We don't want to lose. It's been terrible going through this rebuild and, and losing. It's awful. We, we, it, 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 we can't sugarcoat it any other way. Yeah, but for you, the, the focus has really been more, 
I think fans are excited about the work that you're doing mm-hmm. and the work that Getz is doing and the growth of the different departments within the development and the scouting that, that you're talking about. That's that, and, and that's why I'm glad you're here. It's because you you got to zoom out. Yeah. You got to no zoom out and see it when you want to trust your organization and what they're doing. No question. The foundation is there. The foundation has been built and now it's just putting the next layers on the, on the building and, and keep adding to that and seeing how high we can make this building. He is Nick Hosteller, the director of amateur scouting for the Chicago White Sox. I'm Matt Spiegel. It is hit and run on 6-7 the score. And we come back, I'm going to nail down who the draft pick's going to be. Nick is going to tell me flat out exactly who it's going to be. Uh, and then we'll move on to some other stuff, too, right here on the score. We're back in on 670 The Score. It is Hit and Run, the Score's baseball show. I am Matt Spiegel, your host. This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. Um, enjoying uh, the show today very much. Got to know Scott Pitsetnik. That's a good dude, Nick Hosteller. He is. I, I know you are a director of amateur scouting. Maybe not much reason to interact with Scott Pitsetnik. But, I mean, uh, you've been with the organization a long time, so you know Scotty a little bit. I do. Yep, do. And he caught me down in the lobby, and it was great to see him. And we had a chance to talk a little bit. That's awesome. Um, all right, so tell everybody who you're going to take in the draft. <laughs> um, that's what we tease. There's a catcher out of Oregon State, Adley Rutschman, who's very highly rated. There's a couple of high school shortstops, Bobby Witt Jr. and C.J. Abrams, one out of Georgia, one out of Texas. There's a college first baseman from Cal named Andrew Vaughn. And I read an article, I think, uh, from James Fegan on The Athletic that sometimes you come home and you watch Pac-10 Network at, uh, at, at home. Late, yeah. yeah, late at night. Um, so, And then there's a couple outfielders, some high schoolers, Riley Green. There's J.J. Blade. is that how you pronounce it? Yep. The outfielder from Vanderbilt. I don't know if I just named your six, but were some of those <laughs> in your close. six? You're pretty, pretty close. You might be missing one or one guy. But, okay. But, but you're close. You got, you got a, a good little group there. All right. Well, um, shortstop, Abrams. I've seen you link to Abrams. Why would people link the White Sox to Abrams? He's a premium athlete. Um, CJ is a guy that we have seen develop over the course of the last, I, I would say, three years. But he started to put on strength. He's turned his athleticism into baseball. Uh, we've seen the strength really started at Team USA last year when he was playing in Panama. Uh, the strength started to come. He started to become a little bit more assertive at the plate. Um, the shortstop is the range is both sides. Um, it's a plus plus run tool. I mean, he can flat out burn it. Um, it's left handed. The power's starting to come a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see a little bit more uh, loft power, some home runs out of him. But he's a he's a great kid. The the makeups off the charts. The parents are great. So we've we've done a lot of work on CJ, and he's a he's a, going to have a nice spot wherever he ends up. What what matters the most for you of all those different school sets skill sets? Like, I mean, you've got. Probably some kind of internal system where you do some math on stuff and kind of yeah. everybody gets a rating and you put it all together. Is that fair to say? It's something, some proprietary system you won't tell me too much about? Yeah, yeah no doubt. And we do. Um, and and it's, it's usually position dependent. So each different position, the different skill sets matter. So let's say up the middle, you know, the run tool is going to be more important than what it's going to be on the corners. Um, the power tool on the corners, so first base, third base, cat, um, Corner outfielders, the power tool is going to be more important than it is, let's say, shortstop center field. Um, we need this, those guys up the middle to be to, can run, can check track down balls in center to both gaps, mm-hmm. shortstop to show range, second baseman to show some range. And behind the plate, you can kind of throw all of it out the window because at that point, like they've got to be, they've got to be a leader. That's that's first and foremost. They've got to be able to lead. I think you see on the great catchers are great leaders, they're great communicators, and it's really important in what they do behind the plate. 
Um, they've got to handle not only their own career, but they've got to handle 12 or 15 other guys on a pitching staff's career mm. as well. So that's a lot of work for those catchers. That's also why you see some of these catchers develop a little bit more slowly than, what, let's say, some of the other positions. Interesting. Um, and, and, and when you're thinking about the catcher, so that stuff, that, that personality, that leadership, that temperament ends up being more important than pitch framing or stuff like that you can teach? It's, it's really important. And, and, and look, we feel like we can help some of that stuff. Now, they still have to, obviously, have to show us some tools that we think can yeah. can get them to the big leagues. But when it all said and done, when you get catchers that are very similar in their production, both offensively, defensively, you want to see that guy that's the communicator, the leader, the guy that can get after it. What um, Boy, I, there's a million places I could go, and I'm, I'm being overwhelmed because <laughs> I'm enjoying the conversation. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Don't miss your chance to watch Big Ten football at Ryan Field this fall as the number 17 Northwestern Wildcats host Ohio State, Iowa, and more. Season tickets on sale now at NUSports.com. Before we go to a little bit more of the scouting in the general, which fascinates me, and I appreciate your openness. How about the other shortstop, who's Bobby Witt Jr.? And yes, that is the son of Bobby Witt, the former Rangers pitcher, another high school shortstop. What differentiates him from Abrams? Yeah, it seem, actually seems like uh, Bobby Sr. just retired not uh, too yes. long ago. Yes, it does. Yes, we're <laughs> but, old. And it looks like he could still pitch. But you know what? It, it's, it's funny because both of them, while they play the same position, they're, they're very different um, from a skill set standpoint. Both of them can really run. That's the one thing they have in common. And both of them have uh, the plus make up off the field and on the field with their teammates that that kind of links them together they both played on the same team usa so they both alternated shortstop and third base and second base and center field so they've they've both have played together um which has been great getting some background stuff from the coaches there and how mm-hmm. they handled that mm-hmm. um you know, I think both of them, both of them have a lot of similar tools. There's a, there's some things different. You know, Bobby may have a little bit more power in the bat than what uh, CJ does. But CJ may have a little bit more um, a tick better run tool. So you know, there's a little bit of give take between the two, but I don't think they're too far off from each other. So when you compare those guys, and as you've said last segment, you don't like to necessarily think about the negatives. Mm-hmm. What are you, you're seeing? Which ones positives outweigh the others? Yeah, a lot of times we'll we'll focus on the positives far more than we will on the negatives. Uh, the problem is in a draft room, if you focus on the negatives and you start talking about that, that can spiral off course and it can get ugly quick. Mm. And you walk out of the room not feeling good about anybody you've just given <laughs> a whole lot of money to. So we want we want Jerry, we want Rick and Kenny and and those guys to feel really happy with the pick we're taking, especially Uh picking this high in, in Toronto the other day, they started Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero jr. Um, The first time a lineup has ever had two former or two sons of hall of famers in it. They've also got Bo Bichette up there. Dante's kid, Um, Chris Bryant's dad, Mike was just a player, you know, in the Red Sox system and his coach does the fact that Bobby Witt, senior is a big present factor in Bobby Witt Jr.'s life. How much does that factor in when you're thinking about makeup and a kid's personal future? Well, you can see that it it has affected Bobby when you meet with him and you talk to him. He understands the clubhouse. He understands the big league, big league lifestyle. He understands what professional baseball is about because he has somebody that's in his home eating dinner with him every night that, that can explain that to him. Um, and his dad played on, on team on the Olympic team back in 85 might be the best draft ever in 1985. And he was the third pick overall. Hmm. So, I mean, his dad has been through that process so he can help guide him a little bit so that, you know, you've, kind of expect the adjustment period for Bobby Jr. to be a little bit less than maybe what a kid that hasn't doesn't have a parent or somebody close to him but with nowadays with the agents so involved and the players that some of those guys represent as well they that that has helped because they surround those guys with with 
players that have been out, players that are playing. They surround them to, to help those guys through that process. Gotcha. So if they don't have it in the blood or in the genes and or at the dinner table, they can still have it. They still have it. Okay. Right. And and that that but you do want to check into that, right? Like absolutely. How how do you scout for makeup? What what do you look for? Because because in this game of failure. This game where guys might have a circuitous route or they might come up and absolutely be brutal for a couple of weeks or they might, you know, whatever kind of hardships they're going to like, how can you figure out if an 18 year old's got it in them or not? What do you do? It all starts with our area scouts. So our area scouts dig and they have so much information on these players, their family, their background, who they hang out with, what they do in their off time. Um, they talk to ex-girlfriends, current girlfriends, uh, teachers, guidance counselors. Like they go so deep into these guys. And then the next layer goes into our cross checkers. Our cross checkers will start to use their resources out, whether it be college coaches or whether it be um, opponents or stuff like that. So they'll dig into it. I, really, all the success when we hit and we've hit on, I can't tell you we've had a bad makeup guy since 2016 we started drafting that, that we've taken. I'm not sure there's anybody that I can walk out of here saying, man, I really regret that from a makeup standpoint. Hmm. I think our guys have nailed it. I think they have what we have given them as kind of guidelines to what to look for or what they have nailed that process. Our area scouts and our cross checkers deserve all the credit for that. And, and ultimately as that filters up and they give us the information, we have to put that and keep that in context and understand that you know, they are 18-year-old kids. They are 21-year-old college kids. Like, they're going to have some lapses in judgment at times. We understand that. We're not trying to sign a group full of choir boys. We're trying to sign the best baseball players. But we also want that winning mentality, those guys that understand how to be great teammates. Uh-huh. As long as that off-field stuff doesn't blend in with the teammates and, and, and cause some issues on the field, hmm. we're good with it because we we'll help them get their lives in order. If you're watching a college game, you know, a well-covered college game, and you can really see – what can you learn about a guy? Can you learn something watching oh, tape on a game? Absolutely. And I in don't, terms of a guy's makeup. Yep, how, yeah. And I don't want to give the name because it's he's still playing. It was actually recently. But this happened. Uh, we were at a game out in California watching a player from a different region, and he was out there. I had some makeup concerns, had some makeup questions. There was some stuff going on that we had heard. Our area scout and it, it had gotten all the information for us. We just sat and watched him as he performed mm-hmm. when he come came off the field, not one of his teammates greeted him. Not one of them gave him a high five fist bump, nothing. He came out of the game. He stood in the dugout by the end of, all by himself. Didn't talk to anybody. Nobody talked to him. The, after his day was done, he came out of the game. The kid that came in for him, there was no interaction with him. He did not talk to another teammate the rest of the game. At wow. that point we were out. At that point we knew there was something more there was deeper than what was at the surface of this. Like his, when your teammates hate you, that's a bad Island to be on. You've got to make sure you, they got to have your back. You've got to have their back. So mm. that, that is really important to what we do is know how their teammates feel about them. That's really interesting. It make it makes sense. Um, you know, it, it, you gotta, have, have there been times that scouts have historically been turned off of a guy that they're like, Oh, I kind of wish I took that guy. Probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot. A lot. It's happened a lot. And, and I mean, I've, I've dealt with it myself and look, it, it, when these picks fails, it's, it's on me. That's, that's 100% my fault that, that goes to it. Cause I've got, I'm taking the information our area scouts are giving us and, and 
I'm trying to make the best pick you possible. Got, you got guys that are rolling through your head right now? That, uh, a that, lot of guys, and I'd love to say it. I can't. Uh, but. Okay, I understand, but like guys who like you might follow their career and say, damn it, oh, what was I thinking? Absolutely, yeah, multiple times. And I go back, we go back and we Come on, review. give me one. You can give me one. <laughs> They're still playing. Oh, okay. um, but but I, we review these drafts, and we review them for a couple years later, and we look back and who went after them. Okay, why didn't we take that player? What was the reason? Why did we take this guy over him? Mm-hmm. What was it that we saw? Okay, that's what happened. Is this a pattern? Is this a pattern that we need to correct in yeah. our, our evaluating process? So we're always self-analyzing. We're always looking back at what we're doing. I know I do it personally. We do it as a staff. And we make sure that whatever adjustments need to be made, they're, they're made immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on In terms of specific scouting traits, things that you're looking for, what are the ones that, in your estimation, are the most difficult to teach? Like, like this whole, just as backdrop, you know, um, the big subtext of Moneyball was, can you yeah. teach patience? Mm-hmm. Can you teach an eye? Can you teach a guy to do that? I mean, we're seeing it, yeah, you know, we're seeing it the other way with Moncada on the big league level, yeah. which is a fascinating thing in it and is. of itself. But anyway, uh, is what do you think is the hardest to teach? I, I, I think you can't. I Personally, I don't think you can teach speed, and I don't think you can teach the ability to make contact. I think you can help it and you can tweak it, but to take a guy that goes from not being able to pit, recognize a pitch to then be able to recognize it, pull the trigger, and then make contact with it, that is so hard to teach. And, and you know, a lot of times we dream big. So we'll take these guys, and, you know, they haven't hit in high school all that well. They maybe not have hit in college all that well. They strike out a lot. But, oh, look at his body. Oh, look at yeah, this. the body's great, and he can run, and he can – when he does make contact in BP at 5 o'clock, he's a 5 o'clock hitter, and the ball mm-hmm. goes out. Those guys, for the most part, I, I can probably name it on one hand, the guys that I've seen that – the hit tool, they figured it out. That is so hard to do. And it's an unfair task to put on our player development staff if you keep giving them guys that don't show the ability to make consistent contact. Look, I don't, I don't need to, to mention names, but there are, there are draft picks, frankly, before your, your time, your job, with the White Sox who, who come to mind with that. And it's not the only org, but like people fall in love with, man, a toolsy outfielder. Boy, that guy looks like he can do everything. Mm-hmm. But the hit tool is its own thing. It's its own thing, and it's something that you've either got an ability to make contact and, and recognize the pitch or you don't. And and you can help, like I said, you can help it a little bit. Yeah. But to think that you can overhaul that and turn a guy that can't hit it all into something, is it's hard to do. But that's also where you got to balance the draft. It's okay to take some of those guys. And it's okay to dream on some of those guys, but yeah. you've got to make sure that you've taken some other guys in that draft that can hit. Interesting. So you've got to balance it. Yeah, and, and that said, I'm still completely smitten by athletes like that. Yeah, well, me too. Me too. I, I think it's in our nature. It's in our nature right? to think that we can hit the home run. We can hit on the guy that, you know what, he's got everything else and it's going to come, and we want to put our stamp on that. Like, yes, we. that's what scouting – it was about, yeah. you know, and, and now with all the other information that we have, we had to take a step back and look at the process. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm at Wrigley yesterday watching Yasiel Puig, yeah. and I'm seeing that that athlete, that package, oh, my God. It's everything. Um, you know, the guy that I'm most fascinated with and excited about in the White Sox system is Luis Robert. Yep. Because cause there it is. Be. It's all there. It's, like, it's all there. It but is the hit be. tool there enough with him? It is. It's, it, and I think we've started to see that. I, I think we've seen the – he just needed to get at bats. He was dealt with so many injuries like everybody yeah. else in our system. But yeah. he has dealt with so many injuries, he just needed to get consistent at bats. And I think now that we're seeing consistent at bats, you saw what he did in Winston-Salem. 
He moved up to double A. It took him like two games to hit a ball out of the ballpark. Like he finally, that clicked with him. Yeah. This guy's tools and his ability. I mean, I think Rick has mentioned this a couple of times. You walk in the Under Armour store on Michigan Avenue and they've got that big, uh, big model in there. With yeah. the t-shirt. That's, the, that's him. <laughs> like that's him. You stick his head on top of it. Like Rick nailed that one. That's the best comp I've ever heard. Um, th- this is great. Do you mind one more segment? No, you okay. All. Yep. all right. We'll do one more segment with Nick Hosteller, the director of amateur scouting for the White Sox. Top of the hour, David Schuster live from Wrigley with the latest in advance of Cubs-Reds. That finale is after this, which is hit and run on 670 The Score. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Subway. Subway restaurants feature a different six-inch sub for $3.79 every day. Subway, make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Final couple of moments with Nick's, Nick Hostetler, the Nick Scouting. Nick Hostetler, the amateur scouting director for the Chicago White Sox, enjoying this very much. Let's talk about some of the guys that are in the system right now because Sox fans are trying to figure out who's going to be useful, who is not, et cetera, moving forward. And I know that that you once you draft guys, you pass them off to Chris Getz, but you guys talk all the time. So you're you're up to speed on the development of some of the guys that you've brought in, correct? We we do, and, and the communication is terrific. And and you know with Getzy, Jeremy Haber has really helped a lot of that. Um, he's he's developed lines of communications for all of us in the organization to feel mm-hmm. comfortable of, of sharing our thoughts and opinions. And it's a it's a Getzy needs me as much as I need Getzy in this. So we're so tied together um, in what we do because we have to, he gets all of the information from our guys, from our scouts after we draft them for the player. But at the same time, like some of these players go through certain situations that our player development guys might need to know if they've done that before, if they've seen that. So our scouts will provide that to those guys. So it is a nice, it's, it's great to have that lines of communication wide open. Mm -hmm. It's what makes this thing work Uh, without that. Both of us would fail. Mm -hmm. There's just no other way. Way around it. Scouting and player development have to work together. So how do you feel about Sebi Zavala, who's now up here, and Zach Collins, who, I mean, I think we've all thought that those guys are maybe going to be the platoon catchers when the White Sox are contenders. Now James McCann might be oh, a rebuild find here. Absolutely. And you find guys like that in a rebuild. But um, how do you feel about where Sebi and Zach are developmentally? Yeah, I, I think the exciting thing for us is when we see guys like Sebi get the call yesterday. I texted Derek Valenzuela, our West Coast cross-checker, who had a major part in us drafting Sebi in the 12th round. And and he was extremely excited. It's it's like you know it is like Christmas Day when they get called up. You get excited like they finally made it. You you feel like yeah this one worked. We were right. Yeah. Um. He was excited about it. So I think seeing Zebby's development has been good because he was an older kid uh, when we drafted him. You know he had dealt through some injuries in college with Tommy John. Played all over the field. So he needed some time catching. He's such a good athlete that he mm-hmm. took to it as well. But I think with Zach, the thing that's been exciting about Zach is is he's maintained that thing that we talked about earlier, and it was that patience and ability to recognize pitches he stayed with his plan and that was hard for him in our player development guys need a lot of credit for keeping him on track because in the minor leagues at the lower levels the umpires that plate is all over the place the strike zone's all over the place you don't know where it's going so it tightens up Mm -hmm. as he gets higher they've kept him on track not let him get out of that um, that mode. So he's done that. The pitch framing has gotten a lot better. Johnny Orton, our catching instructor, has put a lot of time in with him, and and it, we're starting to see that. Pitchers are starting to enjoy throwing to Zach. I've heard from what White Sox fans were a little concerned. He's 24. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, is is there a point when you're like, oh, when they should be worried? With catchers, no. 
Um, they just develop at a different pace. You know, catchers are, and I think you're seeing James McCann's year this year. I mean, what a great find by by the pro staff and Rick Hahn to, to sign those guys, to sign James and get him in. But catchers have, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day that had Alex Lavila in college, and they thought there was no chance he'd ever catch. And then three or four years later, he was in an all-star game. So, I mean, it just, catchers are weird. They're just different. Mm. Uh, they develop at a different pace. And I don't think you can ever throw out a catcher. Catchers and left-handed pitchers never give up on. So, uh, that said, even though you got Collins and you got Zavala, there's, uh, I mentioned this, this catcher in the draft who a mm. lot of people have going number one. Any hesitation to take, there's no hesitation to take a shortstop, obviously. No, no hesitation to take a catcher either. No, not at all. And that's one of the things that has never been pushed on, on myself as a director of scouting or anybody else at any point in time. Jerry, Rick, Kenny have always said, take the best talent available. They didn't, They don't care what position it is. I think you saw it last year. We had Moncada play in second when we drafted Madrigal. Yeah. Uh, we took Steel Walker in the second round, an outfielder, and we at that point had like 1,900 outfielders that were prospects. Um, you know, They have told us from, from day one, it's the best player, and, mm-hmm. and you can't you can't get in a position where you start drafting for need in the baseball draft because five years, three years, four years, however it takes long it takes him to get to the big leagues. Yeah, a lot of things that can happen. So, um, in terms of the arms, I love what's happening with Giolito. Um, Lopez has a very high ceiling. Uh, hoping that Kopech obviously comes back and is a healthy, viable option come spring training. I dream, White Sox fans dream of Dylan Cease coming up here at some point and showing you. When you guys made that deal for Dylan Cease, did you think that you had this? And have you been more impressed with what you have with Cease uh, now? We knew from an amateur scouting standpoint what we saw prior to him getting injured his senior year. So he was a guy that was high on our prep list. It was a guy that the Cubs did a great job with drafting and signing him. Because a lot of a lot of teams just automatically thought he was going to college once he got hurt. Um, they did a terrific job of drafting and signing him, getting in their system. But we knew what we had from an amateur department. Our probe reports at the lower levels were really good on him. Um, and I think when Rick made that trade, he knew that at that point he wanted to get an arm back when mm-hmm. you're giving up an arm type of Quintana's type. So he targeted you know Dylan and in, in seeing that he had the opportunity to be a frontline guy. And I think that since we've had him, um, I, I can't. Think of anybody else we'd be more happy to have. All right, so middle of March, and the following arms are battling for rotation spots in White Sox camp. Uh, Giolito, Lopez, Kopech, Cease, and who? In terms of the young guys, of the your young guys. guys. That's a good question to ask. Um, you know, looking down through, I, I think Jimmy Lambert has an opportunity. Um, I think Bernardo Flores is another one that's in double A that has an opportunity. Uh, I, you know, I think as you get down into those mid-level, those double A, triple A guy or double A high A guys, I think you're looking at probably the next wave of starters mm-hmm. that we have. Um, ultimately Jordan Stevens is, was starting. I think he's got an injury right now in triple A, but, um, you know, he may end up in a bullpen role, uh, later on, have some high value that, but, you know, I think when you start getting into the Jimmy Lambert's and the, uh, Bernardo Flores's, the Connor Pilkington's, um, Pilkington's the, the guys like that. that. Yeah. I think the guys like that, I think you're looking at the next wave and then hopefully we add a bunch of guys in this draft and there's some guys that, that you you know, we're also hoping some guys take the jump and development that we've taken the last couple of years. You know, it's, we, we see guys, sometimes it's Giovanni Soto going from class a to the bigs um but in terms of pitchers my god the way that arms are are exploding no matter what you do sometimes it makes sense to move them to to move them aggressively through the system could one of those guys you mentioned whether they're at high a or at double a now be viable next year in the spring yeah i think you know i think it comes down to it comes down to what uh, that player tells gets in his staff he's ready 
You know, and he tells him from what happens on the field, how he goes about his, his his process in between starts, his bullpens. That's where they they tell them everything they need to know. So you kind of let them tell you when they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so looking at it from just a scouting perspective, yeah, I think that stuff-wise, some of those guys could compete at the big league level in the not-too-distant future. Two guys um, whose name did not get mentioned there, uh, Carson Fulmer. Mm-hmm. Not sure how you, you know, what kind of possibilities you think are still left for him. Mm-hmm. And then Alec Hansen, who a lot of people yeah. thought a lot of and had a tough year last year. He did, and, and I'll start with Carson first. You know this is we talked at the break about how you get close to these players and and Carson was one that that I became you know like all of these guys we take and we spend a lot of time with become emotionally attached to as a scouting director um and Rick does a good job of understanding where I'm at with a lot of those when he asks me about some of the players he understands and it's hard to separate um but I think the bullpen role for Carson is 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 where he's going to end up settling in at um it's if he doesn't succeed it's not for the lack of effort and the lack of him putting in the time and effort to, to succeed. He is, he is doing everything he possibly can. His body's in better shape. He looks better. He's just got to work through some things, I think more mentally than anything physically at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, Alec has done, and, and Chris has had a, Getz has had a, um, a, a tough time from, you know, Alec had so much success early. And there were some things mechanically he was doing wrong, but a lot of times it's really hard to change those guys when they're having success. Sure, they're not, they're not going to be a receptive to those things, and, and understandably. Um, so once some things started going wrong, and, and Getsy and the pitching staff, Matt Zaleski, and some of the coaches down there, Kirk Champion and J.R. Purdue, had a chance to get their hands on them. Um, I think now you're starting to see Alec in the bullpen role right now just to kind of get his confidence back. But I think over the course of the, just in talking with Getsy, I wouldn't be shocked to see him start to stretch out a little bit more as we get later in the season. Appreciate your willingness to talk about the hits, uh, what might be classified right now as some of the misses, yep. and, and everything in between. Uh, very informative, very enjoyable. Thanks for being here, Nick. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Good, man. I appreciate it. Um, and in the draft, uh, good luck getting your guy, whoever it is, C.J. Abrams. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's Nick Costello, Director of Amateur Scouting for the White Sox. It's Matt Spiegel with Hit and Run. David Schuster will join us from Wrigley when we come back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.